Hey friends, you're listening to Halfway There, episode number 279, Rodney Olson and Kicking at the Darkness. You get the reference? Uh, hey friends, welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I, of course, am your host, Eric Nevins, and I am so excited to have this conversation. Uh, we are we are, we are, are doing everything we can do. This is going to be a great conversation. I'm going to tell you that right now because I've already had part of it, but I'll tell you about that some other time. Um, friends, if you are, are enjoying the show, and I know you will, go ahead and share this with a friend. I would love it if you would do that. Our guest today, he is a husband, a father, a cyclist, um, which I do want to hear about because he had he had a, uh, a interesting interesting ride, I think, um, not too long ago, uh, if it wasn't canceled by COVID. He's a blogger and he's a podcaster. He's a podcaster actually behind Bleeding Daylight Podcast. Our guest is Rodney Olson. Rodney, welcome to Halfway There. Well, thank you. Great to be here, to be talking to you, being part of the Halfway There podcast, which I, I think, you know, you're a legend in podcasting. People want to listen yeah. to your program and, you know, some of the guests that you've had are amazing. So it's great to finally be here chatting with you. Thanks, Rodney. I'm so glad to have you here. And uh, you um, are one of those people that I just uh, I absolutely respect. And every time I have an interaction with you, it is great. It is really um, good. And I love your passion um, for the Lord. We're going to hear all about that. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to your podcast because your podcast is the Bleeding Daylight podcast. And I um, remember very clearly that you... Uh, when we when you came to our group Christian Podcasters Association and um, you had um, had you I've noticed Bleeding Daylight and I was like hey is that a Bruce Coburn reference and you were like yeah it is so the, t- tell me a little bit about that and and kind of how you came about with your podcast yeah. it's an interesting one when you start to look for a podcast name but this one really suited because it comes from a 1984 song that Bruce Coburn wrote and performed called Lovers in a Dangerous Time. And there's just a couple of lines in there. It says, nothing worth having comes without some kind of fight. Got to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. And that really speaks to me because we want to be able to kick at the darkness, see the light break through. We know that for those of us who follow Jesus, that Jesus is that light. Uh, And there's a lot of darkness around. And so we want to see that light break through. We want to see the light bleeding through those cracks in the darkness. And I'm just reminded that there's so often these these Christians who believe that Christianity is this easy journey where God opens and shuts doors. And we hear these cliches of, oh, God will open the door. God will shut a door. And there are many times when God does that. I've experienced that in my own Christian walk. That There's been a door that has been left wide open for me to walk through uh, or a door that has been shut where I've thought, oh, am I not going there? And so there are those instances. But I think more often, because of the evil in this world, sometimes together with Jesus, not going off on our own like some sort of warrior or hero, we've got to kick at the darkness. We've got to kick at those doors. It's not just that the door is shut because we shouldn't go through there. The door is shut because of the evil that keeps it that way. And it's our job, as I say, following Jesus Lee, to kick down that door where there is evil, where there are things going on that shouldn't be. We are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus to start to kick down that door to see the light bleed through. So that's kind of what Bleeding Daylight is about. I talk to people that have often had to kick into the darkness to see the light bleed through. Yeah, Bruce Coburn is so good too in that. As just as a poet, right? Just he's he's, that turn of phrase is so good. I every um time I get to every time I listen to him, but I've had I got to see him a couple of times, but he is just like amazing. And it it um it I don't know. He he inspires me a lot. Do you I love this the song um Pacing the Cage. Have you have you, you know that one? I might know it, but I don't know it by title. But <laughs> oh, okay. Well that's okay. He well he's his catalog is really big. Yeah, like when yeah. I discovered him in in like the early two thousands maybe I didn't realize how how far back that that 
his catalog went and we didn't have like Spotify back then. So I couldn't listen to it all, but I, I just have the ones I had, but it's the best. First of all, it's got a really cool fretless bass in it. So that's pretty mm-hmm. fun, but he's um, it's like one of those songs that very artistically captures this idea that you're kind of talking about this whole thing of the kingdom breaking in. Right. But sometimes we just feel like we're pacing the cage. You know, we're, we're we feel like we're a little bit trapped um, because we're waiting for that, all that, that promise that God is going to restore. Um, but what you're talking about is that we have this responsibility to kind of bring the kingdom to, to bear upon the world. Absolutely. We, we do. That's, that's the charge that we've been given. If it was a case of our only task is to, is to come to know the Lord and that's it. Then as soon as we came to Christ, then he just zap us out of this world. We're left here. We're left here for a purpose. There are things left right. to do. We need to share that message. Uh, and sometimes to be able to share the message of the gospel of the kingdom, we need to be able to go to dark places. We need to be able to, to reach into places uh, where, where people do not know Jesus and, and don't know anything about the kingdom. Um, and, and that's the thing right. that so often I see, and, and I'll probably go off on a rant here, but so often I see, it's okay, so go ahead. often I see Christians who are, are wanting to, to demonize for want of a better phrase, um, others who have different beliefs. And, and there's this polarization that we see on mm. social media where someone comes up with an opposing point of view and they are the enemy and that's across political lines and all sorts of things and different issues and it's like, people, stop. Do you not realize that if you truly believe that these people are going the wrong way, that is because perhaps the enemy has taken them down that path. So rather than saying they are evil, they are people that need to be got rid of, we say they are people that desperately need Jesus Christ. Are we prepared to pray for these people that we believe are doing the wrong thing that we're railing against on social media? Are we prepared to turn it around and instead of railing against them, pray for them, pray that they come to know Jesus rather than just say, oh, they're awful and I write them off because Jesus didn't write us off. He went to the cross even while we were yet sinners. And I think we need a big dose of that because we see people that in our minds are big sinners and yet we're not prepared to even give them the benefit of the doubt to, to the fact that they have been led astray by the enemy and, and they need the saving wow. grace of Jesus Christ. They need the kingdom to, to break through into their lives. Amen. Absolutely. Yeah. I, it just, um, that's, that's really, really fascinating. It has me thinking about, um, you know, the ways that Jesus so often, he wasn't about, he never, he never fell prey to this idea that if I hang out with sinners, then I'm a sinner, right? Like mm-hmm. he, he never let that become his identity. And I think that is absolutely, it's, I don't know if it's Victorian or Puritan or whatever, but that is absolutely some of the, some of what, I don't know if it's Western Christianity, but certainly American Christianity right now is, is all kind of wrapped up in, it's not good. Um, but uh, and it prohibits the kingdom, I think, from from showing up, and that's a problem. Well, yeah, anyway, yeah. We, okay, we'll solve all those problems <laughs> someday. But um, I, I I could talk about that for hours. But I really want to talk uh, to you about your story. And so I know that you grew up in the western part of Australia, in Perth, and um, that your mom was a, was a Christian. So tell me a little bit about that, and then we'll we'll go from there yeah there was a lady who lived up the road from us in the in the suburb where we lived who faithfully sort of talked to to various people within our street and got them along to church and you know took them to to various places and just was there for people um a a lovely lady who you know took again took mum under her wing mum was uh trying to bring up five kids pretty much on her own because dad worked away and so this, this lady would uh, be talking to mom and inviting her along and, and mum came to faith. Like she had grown up in a Presbyterian church and I guess, you know, was, was nominal Christian, some might say, but really did not know the saving grace of Jesus. And she came to faith during that time uh, with this, this lady in, in the street, bringing her to, to faith. And so we had 
uh, I guess, a childhood growing up in a Christian home, in as much as mum was the one leading the family as a Christian. Dad was a more interesting case in that when he was a teenager, he was part of the apostolic church. And I believe that he was even a deacon at some stage, even in his very young years, and would travel with an itinerant evangelist. Um, and so was very steeped in the faith, very much a part of it. But then along came World War II, and he went off to, to war. He was a conscientious objector, so he, he didn't want to go as someone fighting against the, the enemy, but he was supporting the effort, and so he was a cook within the Air Force. And in fact, that's where mum and dad met. They were both cooks in the Air Force uh, during the war, and they married soon after the war. But uh, he was a cook, but we do believe, even though he never really talked about it much, uh, that at some stage to protect himself, he needed to take up arms. And so we don't know what happened really there, but um, wow. he took up arms against fellow humans, and he didn't believe that that's something that God could, could forgive him of. And so the life that he led after coming back from war was very different. We don't know the things that he saw. We don't know the things that he experienced, but we do know mm. that he walked away from faith. And so right throughout our growing up into our teenage years, into our 20s kind of thing, uh, he was distant from God. He still knew how to quote scripture and could do that better than we could. Uh, he was very proud that his family were all church going Christians. And so when he would introduce us to, to friends of his, he would always be happy to say, oh, this is my family, you know, and I, I remember back when certainly alcohol was something that Christians didn't go near, where my elder brothers, who at that stage were old enough to drink, were, were offered a drink, and and my dad would say, oh, no, they don't drink, they're good Christians, and uh, so he, he was proud of the fact that he had a Christian family, but for some reason, he didn't believe it was for him. For some reason, he didn't believe that God could forgive him, and so it wasn't until the final week of his life that he said, I've got to get right with Jesus, and then started talking, I'm, I'm going home to, to be with Jesus, my Lord, and, and to, to be with my wife. And it's like, where's this dad been all those decades? Yeah, but yeah wow. Uh, so we know we're going to catch up with him again, but um, an interesting upbringing for sure. That is really interesting. And, you know, it's, I can only imagine that I, I often think the Lord that, uh, as a Gen Xer, we didn't have any wars going on when mm -hmm. I was, but I guess we did, but I, they, they weren't conscripted. So I didn't have to go, but um, definitely because it can change you, right? That's, it sounds like it, your father struggled with that, um, but good that he came to faith. So here's, uh, so how did you come to faith in yourself then? Well, as I mentioned, mum had come to faith earlier. So well before I was born, I'm the youngest of five kids. And so when it came to, to growing up, it was just normal for us to be part of the local uh, Baptist church and grew mm. up there. And I went along and, and knew all the Sunday school stories. I was a good boy at church. And then I went to a camp when I was about 12 years of age. And that's when I realized that the faith had to be mine. I had to accept Jesus for myself, not just be part of a church. And so I guess that was really the start of my true faith journey when I was 12. And there's been the, the ups and downs that we have in life along the way. Uh, but that's when I came to faith and, and haven't veered away from faith. But as I say, you know, there, there's the, the peaks and the troughs that, that come throughout our journey as, as people of faith. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So you kind of grew up in the church and your faith became your own kind of as a young tween, maybe not quite an adolescent, but you were getting there, right? So kind of starting to think about it. How did your faith start to become your own as you were growing yeah, up? Yeah, I, I guess I just took it a lot more seriously. Um, and that mm. instead of going along weekly to uh, to hear a message and sort of be, be filled up and then go back and get the tank filled up again the next week, it became something that I wanted to pursue. So uh, getting more involved in, in the church, getting involved in my own personal reading and praying and, and that sort of thing, I guess, uh, yeah. is where it became my own. Yeah, love that. Where'd you go after after that? So I I don't know what your guys' uh, education system is like, but did you go to college? Did you? 
No, I didn't. So, uh, and and most people these days will, will go off to, to university uh, and higher okay. studies and uh, that wasn't my path. I was not a fan of school at all. Uh, it didn't suit me and I wanted to get out. So uh, the earliest that you could was at the end of your 10th year of schooling. So that was uh, in high school, uh, at the end of the third year of high school. Uh, if you had work, okay. you could go to that rather than finishing off the final two years of school. And so I went and did an apprenticeship as a chef. So that's about the only thing I'm really qualified to oh. do is uh, I have a piece of paper <laughs> that says that I'm a chef, but I, I don't actually use that apart from, you know, I'm, I'm the one that does, you know, 95% of the cooking at home. Um, but yeah, that, that was because dad was a chef. He was a cook on right. cargo ships and that's why he was away a lot of the time. Uh, so he would be on a ship that would go up and down the coast of Western Australia, which is a very large state. And so he'd be away for weeks on end and then he'd be home for a while and then he'd be away. So he was a chef. And one of my brothers, uh, the brother closest to me in age, uh, also became a chef. And so I thought, well, I'll you know, if I need to get out of school, I'll, I'll follow the, the family business, so to speak. And in fact, I had um, an uncle or two who, who also cooked at various stages. And, and my grandfather, even though I never met him, grandfather on dad's side, he was a cook. So I, I was kind of following in the family business. And so I, I did a cooking apprenticeship at a hospital. Um, and I've said before, it's it's less cooking and more mass producing food, but it was what it was. And uh, <laughs> right. so I, I worked there for the four years of the apprenticeship and then left and, and haven't gone back to cooking since. You know, it's, it's obviously a skill that's helped me out, but it wasn't really the thing for me. And so that's where life yeah. took me, did the, the apprenticeship. And then for about a year, I was um, either unemployed or working at a uh, just a a sandwich shop and just a lunch shop for a little while. Then I worked for the education department for about five years as a general assistant. So that wasn't anything all that inspiring, but during the last year of my time there, I finally realized my long held desire to work in radio and started working part-time in Christian mm -hmm. radio because a new Christian radio station had just started in Perth, the first ever and so I wanted to work there. And so I applied and they said, hey, we'll train you, did a little bit of training. And so I did uh, a year of part-time work while I was still working for the, the education department over here. And then a, a job came up. And so I left and, and, and went to work in, in Christian radio. So I guess that was the journey that, that I was on. One of the interesting things with that journey into radio is that when I was a kid and every other kid was, was playing in the street and sure I did that as well. But a lot of the times if they were, you know, busy up and down the street, I'd be under my house. Um, and I set up my own radio station and I would play it being a radio announcer. Oh. But I just, I didn't think that would ever happen. And it wasn't actually until my mum passed away after being ill for a couple of years and the same lady that brought my mum to faith uh, wrote a letter to each of us five kids um, who were not kids at this stage, uh, just saying, you know, so sorry about your mum and, and you meant a lot to her. And one of the things that she put in that letter uh, to me was, oh, mum would often talk about your love of radio, how you want to be a radio announcer. And I'm thinking, really? Because the discussions I had with mum was, oh, look, radio, you, you don't get a long-term job in that. You know, you really need something that will secure you <laughs> and everything. So I had no idea that, you know, at the same time that mum was having to be the the the, the mum who wanted security for her child uh, and wanting the best and wanting me to be in a, in a job that will support me throughout my life, there was also this thing of, wow, this is something that that Rodney really loves and maybe one day he'll yeah. do this. And so once I got that and it was kind of like, well, I've got approval from mum now. Um, I really should do this. You know, if this is, if this is something that, that, you know, mum was really all about as well, and it's always been my desire, I should pursue this. And so I did. So I worked uh, a year part-time in, uh, in radio, just doing weekend shifts, then had 10 years full-time work at the radio station. After that, I left for five years and worked at the Bible Society. 
and then went back to the radio station for nine and a half years. And then in 2013, I had the opportunity to join uh, Compassion. Um, and so that's mm. where I've been ever since for over eight years now, working to release children from poverty in Jesus' name. So that's kind of the thumbnail sketch over many, many years of, of working in various uh, various industries and, and mostly in ministry. Yeah, very interesting. It's, uh, it's fascinating that it took a little bit of permission for you to kind of pursue what you wanted to do. Yeah, and, and I find that interesting that it, I guess I had given up on this dream and, and sometimes we do, we think, you know, oh, that's something I'd really like to do, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go there. And then I just needed that nudge to say, you know what, this is something that, that God has put inside your heart because we can follow our own lead. Mm -hmm. and, and so often we hear this whole thing of, well, you can be whatever you want to be. And we know that that's not true. That's just, that's just spin, but we can be a whole lot more than what we imagine if we follow Jesus lead, if we're following his direction, wow. there's a whole lot more we can do. Um, and, and I know that there's good intent behind that. Be whatever you want to be, because it's so often we limit ourselves and we need to overcome that. But the limiting factor needs to be, where does Jesus want to take my life? And so when I get on track with where Jesus wants to take my life, then I can be anything he wants me to be rather than any fanciful thoughts that I have. And he wanted me in radio. He set me up for that even when I was young and gave me a really good opportunity to be part of that on and off for, for over 25 years. That's fascinating. I love what you said that uh, we can be a whole lot more than we imagine. Sometimes we have to, we have to imagine that. And yet, I don't think Jesus wants us to be things that he doesn't want us to be right. Like it, yeah. like, or that we don't want to be right. He's put those things in our hearts to, to go after that. And I think you're a good example of how he did that with you as a kid. Like you said, that's awesome. And so sometimes, you know, friends, I'm just going to, I'm going to speak to you for a second. Like maybe you have something like that in your life where, you know, or you wanted to do something as a kid, or you know, there's something that you want to do just take that to prayer. Like, I'm not going to tell you like quit your job and run off or anything, but just go pray, go pray about it. Ask the Lord where he wants you to go with it. And uh, you never know, never know what he might do. Might be, might be this year. Um, so Rodney, so you got into Christian radio. How did that, you know, how did that shape you and, and shape your faith? Was it, was that like an interesting, was an interesting world? Was it, was it, crazy or all you hope to be or what was it like the interesting thing with the christian radio station here in perth it was the the first time that this particular format had been tried and it then spread right across australia in the years after that and even i know that when some of the the team actually went to a christian broadcasting um, conference in the u.s there was a lot of interest in the u.s because this format hadn't been tried so it was very different to what you might know of as christian radio in that most of the time christian radio is 100 percent christian music 100 percent christian talk and that's great that that fits a market there's people that they need that opportunity to to be surrounded by the words of jesus by his music and and that's great but what we were attempting to do was to reach out to those who didn't yet know Jesus. So a bit of pre-evangelism. So it's not a case of bringing people to faith by listening to the radio. It's very rare that someone would listen to the radio, suddenly feel convicted of sin, drop to their knees and, and pray the sinner's prayer. Right. Uh, that doesn't happen. But what does happen is they start to think differently about faith. Uh, they start to realize that all the stories that they've heard about faith are not necessarily true. They think these Christians actually have something and then they are connected in with a local church because God works through the expression of the local church, wherever that may be. That's how he grows the kingdom, the, the local collection of believers. And so the radio station was very much a case of carefully selected secular music. So that the lyrics and the musical style was not something that would go against the Christian faith, but would be uh, music that people would be familiar with listening to on other stations uh, mixed in with Christian music. So people would be listening, mm. hearing their favorite music and then hang on, this is a new one. I haven't heard this before. Oh, it's, it's kind of about God. What's this about? And the announcers, not everything that was said on the radio was 
was in Christianese or Christian jargon. Yeah. It was actually being able to talk about faith in a way that was relatable to people. So again, that's another thing that I've I've brought over into my podcast. I want people to be able to hear about faith in a way that's relevant to them. You know, if we suddenly start talking about, oh, you need to be saved, you need to be washed in the blood and everything, and people think, what is this about? Whereas if we start to talk to people, they'll pick up on that later. They'll understand what those sorts of things are. They don't need to hear, you know, you need to be saved and sanctified and, and, and all of that. They right. don't get it and, 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 and bless you and hallelujah every, every five words. It's like that seems so freakishly different to them. And so it was a case of being able to speak in, in everyday language about the faith that we know that we have, uh, about the, the kingdom that is coming, and people recognising that. And over the years, through that radio station, people have uh, heard what has been happening. They have had their attitudes towards faith softened. They've started to realise this is something that I want. And there's many testimonies of people coming to Christ because the radio station was able to, to meet them at their point of need, at their point in the journey, mm -hmm. and speak to them in a relevant way to them, not watering down the gospel in any way, but being able to, to, to express it in a way that made sense to them, and then constantly pointing people towards local churches and local organizations that can help them to come to faith. And so we've heard many stories of people that have come to know Jesus or have had their faith strengthened, yeah. Uh, and, and for Christians uh, listening in, they know that they're not going to be driving in the car with the kids in the back seat and suddenly hear something that's offensive. And that's the other thing. <laughs> right. So that's, that's kind of the thing for Christians. They can enjoy the music that they love to listen to. They can enjoy great announcers talking about all sorts of things. And they know that there's not going to be a sudden you know, uh, offensive language or, you know, off-color joke that's going to be on the airwaves, they know that they can do that safely. But for those, and, and surveys have shown that there's a huge amount of people that listen in that are of no faith as yet, it's actually bringing them to the point of saying, aha, there is something in this. There is something in this. this Interesting. Yeah. I love the unique approach there to, to the ministry and just uh, maybe not having to have a metric of like, we, we have to have this many people give their life to Christ today or else we're not going to be able to do it. Right. Like having a, it sounds like you took maybe a more of a long view. It really is. Um, and you know, when, when the radio station first started on air, which was in 1988, the, the program manager at the time was interviewed. Uh, and, and he said a couple of things that I, I think were, were really relevant. One is that we were called to be fishers of men, not keeper of Aquaria. Um, and the other thing, the <laughs> other thing that he had to say is, why would we try and bash down the front door when the back door's open? And I think that that's it. That, right. that those of us that are wanting to see our friends and loved ones and, and those in our community come to faith, you know what? It's not that they're not interested. It's not that they're not interested in spiritual things or that they have a low view of Jesus. Oftentimes, and it's through our own fault, they have a low view of the church because they've seen the church involved in things that we should never be involved in. They've seen scandal. They've seen all of that, but they're not averse to faith. When they, when you ask most people, yeah. you know, what do you think of this Jesus? Oh, he was great. And, and at the moment they think that he was just a great teacher. They don't realize that he is God himself, but we need to be able to bridge that gap to take them from where they are, that, Jesus was this good guy. He taught some good things and say, aha, but do you realize that he also claimed to be God? Do you realize that he also claimed that he is the way, the truth and the life and lead them towards that rather than saying, you should live like this. And so often as Christians, we wave our finger at people saying you're living the wrong way. And we're trying to entice them into a Christian morality without introducing them to Christ. And that's a no win because all it gets, gives us is well the place is nicer for us to live in but we haven't stopped anyone from going to hell right right which is kind of kind of the thing so the approach really does matter and i like what you said earlier about just meeting people where they are that's that's what's really uh important i think that's what jesus did um cool so for you it sounds like you know that was a really productive time and you god kind of brought you through have you did you ever have a like a dark night of the soul or a time when you questioned your your faith or your trust in god 
I question my faith all the time. I mean, you, you, <laughs> okay. you're talking about the the whole thing of deconstruction that we hear so often about where people seem to jettison their faith. And I think that we... Well, kind yeah. of. So let me define yeah, yeah. that, but I'll tell you why. Because, um, so yeah, deconstruction is sort of very popular right now, but what I contend is that the dark night of the soul is a normal part of the spiritual mm. journey. You know, John of the Cross wrote that book, I don't know, in the 1500s, right? So, um, but, and he, but he was simply reflecting on his experience and the experience of other people that he knew. So it's normal and God's people have gone through it. All you have to do is read the Psalms, right? So rather than chucking your faith, the darkness of the soul sometimes leads us to shed some things that we shouldn't believe about ourselves, about God, about, you know, uh, our faith. Uh, but then God often gives us a new identity, right? He tells or shows us who, who we are. And so it's those hard times that kind of refine us. Maybe we, you might think of it that way, but so actually I de- I would, I would like to, de- um, I want to deconstruct the deconstruction. That's not, that sounds terrible. <laughs> I, I, w- I want to separate it from deconstruction because I don't think they're actually the same. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, that where some people are talking about, they're using the word deconstruction, but what they're, they're saying is that they are jettisoning, jettisoning uh, their, their faith. And that's not what we're talking about here. We, we all need to go through those times of questioning and saying, am I holding on to this because this is just the way that things have been done? Or is this truly in scripture? And as we continue to, to come back to the scripture, we think, why am I doing things this way? This this is the way that has been held in church tradition. And there are some church traditions that we follow simply because they make sense, they're helpful, but there are others that get in the way of us truly knowing who Jesus is. So those people who I think are, are rather disingenuous when they use that word deconstruction because they're just wanting to throw away their faith, I, I think we need to say, no, that's that's not where it's at. We need to, if we are deconstructing or we are reviewing our faith, we are going through a dark night of the soul. What we need to be doing is saying, well, where is my central source of truth? Where, what is the rock that I can hang on to? And we see this right throughout scripture uh, where, you know, and, and I think so often, and I think this is what trips people up and this is why they do throw away their faith because we are sold this, this happy Christian life That is always going to be wonderful. Uh, I mean, how many times have we been to church and and we've sung through something that sounds like the Psalms? You know, oh God, where are you? You've let me down again. And I I feel like everything is a mess. I'm I'm, I'm trudging through this, this deep valley. We read the Psalms and we see that the Psalmist goes through these these deep deep times of life is is awful and then we see the psalm coming around right. but oh lord i know that you're a sure foundation i i can set my feet on you and that's just you know that's that's not quoting scripture that's just a summation of so many psalms of you know things right. things look like a mess things look like they will never come around again but ah i follow a lord who i can trust and if we're constantly bringing things back to the Lord, if, if we, for instance, look at the scriptures and say, well, I know that this is a central source of truth, and I know that there are various ways to interpret what's in the scripture, uh, but, you know, nevertheless, the truth is within that, and the truth is Jesus, uh, we hold firm to the anchors that we have. Um, I, I, I'm reminded of so many stories throughout scripture where this has been the case, and where someone takes a, a complaint to the Lord in, in Habakkuk, uh, great book. Yes, uh, you know it's like it's my yeah, favorite. Lord, Lord, what are you doing here? You know the you know your people are, are running amok. Uh, it's okay, uh, Habakkuk. I'll uh, I'll sort it. I'm sending the Chaldeans or, or the Babylonians. I'm sending them. They're going to sort it out. And it's like what? They're worse than we are. Right. You know how? But but nevertheless, I will trust you. And I think that that's it, that we go through these times and, and God sends us an answer and we say, hang on, that doesn't seem right. Uh, and, and again, God goes on and says, look, I'm going to sort them out, but I'm just using them for my purposes at the moment. I will sort them out. Don't you worry about that. Right. It's not your issue. Uh, but this is how I'm going to bring the answer in a way that you don't expect. But hang on to the anchor that you know, which is this Lord who has been faithful throughout the centuries and will continue to be faithful have an anchor if you're going to go deep diving in into what does faith mean you need to have an anchor yeah so what 
what I love about Habakkuk is that's where we get the righteous to live by faith. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like so interesting, but he's doing nothing but questioning God. You know, he's doing, he's, he's, he's asking God, he's complaining. He's often labeled as a complainer, but God never gets after him. God just answers him with his own, with his own plans. And he says, Hey, that's, that's what I, that's what I want. Like that's, that's what it means to live by faith. So that's why I asked the question, but I'm curious for you, like, did, have you had a season like that or was there what, when you've had to kind of wrestle through it? I guess, you know, and my immediate answer was, well, you know, constantly sort of rechecking things. Yeah. And I guess it's been that for me that it hasn't been so much a, you know, I'm just going to give this all away time. It's, it's just those constant things of, okay, I need to recheck. Um, and, and there have been difficult times. Mm. Um, you know, I can't bring any one particular thing to mind, but there, there are difficult times when you think really Lord, um, and, and I think again, coming back to, to, uh, Habakkuk, the, the great thing there is that we are given this pattern where, you know what, if it doesn't seem right, take it to God, he will answer. And he won't necessarily answer in the way that you want him to, but take right, it to right. him. Uh, and I think that that's the pattern that I have followed many times, um, that, that I have, I've seen that and I've, I've, I've seen very early on. Uh, that we need to have that anchor. And I was introduced mm. to that book uh, of, of scripture through a, a book by Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, Faith Tried and Triumphant, many years ago. And I guess that's one of the things that I have sought to do over the years is, is where is that anchor? Um, and he looked in, yeah. within a couple of books, he looked at Habakkuk, and then he goes on through another book looking at the Psalms. And, and again, this reminder that we are through whatever we're going through is go back to what we know to be true. And I think that that has been the thing that has, has stood me in good stead that I don't understand what's going on here, Lord, but I do know that you've been faithful. I see that throughout scripture. I see that throughout church history leading up to today. I've seen that in the lives of people around me and I see it in my own life. So I know that to be true. I don't feel that at the moment, but I know that to be true. I hang on to that as an anchor. And I guess that has helped me to be able to navigate some of those times when it just doesn't seem right. It just doesn't seem to make sense, but I hang on to what I know to be true, which are not my feelings because my feelings are not true. And again, when, when we look at Habakkuk, as I say, that he has the opportunity to, to question God Again, because of we have this this church culture of everything's happy, everything's wonderful. Oh, don't dare question God. And that's why when people come to that point where it's like life isn't quite as it looks when I go to church on Sunday where everyone's smiling, everyone's got this fake smile, this mask on. Um, and that's not all churches. We, we recognize that. But a lot of churches, that's the case. And so therefore, when life doesn't measure up to that, they just run from it and and what they call deconstruction but as i say is is leaving the faith well when you're truly deconstructing you're saying okay what's the anchor what are the things i know to be true let's start there and let's work out why all these other things are not happening as i imagine them to to happen and we go from from that point yeah yeah absolutely um yeah interesting so there's a lot that we could say about that and we could, we could dive into it. Um, I wanted to ask you though about, about cycling. Cause I know you're a cyclist and I, I'm guessing, I think I remember that you, your trip got canceled, but you were going to ride clear across Australia, weren't you? Yeah. So last year, the intent was to ride uh, around 4,200 kilometers across Australia Man. from one side to the other, that, raising money for that's for commitment. Gold. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you, you're right. We did have to postpone because of COVID. So the plan is that we will do that ride in September, October of this year. It'll take us four and a half weeks. And so even though there's still a lot of COVID around and, and all that, we know that borders are going to open. We're going to have to get back to some sort of normal life. So we're not quite sure what that will look like, but we have around 30 cyclists ready to, to take the plunge and to, to ride from one side of Australia to the other. It's a very, very wide land, uh, raising, right. raising money for uh, vulnerable children through, uh, through compassion. And, and that's all the more urgent because of what's going on around the world and, and continues to go on. A report was released back in July of last year from the UN saying that they, they believe that 
you know, there are millions of people that are, are now pushed back into poverty. Probably around 124 million people have been forced back into poverty. You know, the global poverty mm. rate has been lessening year after year for some time. And this is the first rise in global poverty in decades. And it's a sharp rise. And we know that as these people have been pushed back into extreme poverty, uh, that there's the domino effect of, of people that were doing okay, pushed back into poverty. People that were doing really well are now on the edge of poverty because for most of us in the Western world, when COVID came and started to, to mess things around, there were governments that stepped in and said, well, look, we know you're going through a hard time. We're going to support you. And you can argue they should have supported us more or less and all of that, but there was support. There was an opportunity to, to even use savings or whatever. And we know that people have gone through difficult times. We don't want to minimize that. But in developing countries, when you're told you're locked down, that means you cannot go out, you cannot earn Therefore, you do not feed your family. And this is the desperate situation that many people around the world are finding themselves in. Um, I, I used to find it interesting reading through the scripture and the stories of, you know, there's the story of the, the guy who comes to the marketplace and there's all these workers hanging around. And he says, look, I'll, I'll take you to, to work in, in my field. And he takes a bunch of them, comes back at midday and takes a bunch more, comes back around five o'clock, says, oh, look, I'll, I'll take some more. And we know we know that that story, that that parable, and they all get paid the same. And some people get upset because I've been working all day. And But the, the interesting thing I find is, is that concept of these people just hanging around, waiting for someone to come and take them for work. And we think that this is a, guy, a bygone era. But when you go and visit developing countries, and I've visited quite a few, they will say, oh, look, and that's the corner. Those guys standing around, they're waiting for someone to, to, to come and give them work. They're day laborers. So this still exists. This kind of economy still exists in a yeah. lot of countries where people wanting to feed their families will just hang out on a particular corner, hoping that someone who needs workers will come and say, I want you, you and you. Otherwise, their family don't eat that day. Yeah, and I don't know how how it is for you. Maybe it's not that desperate, but I know that even here, we'll have at certain places uh, migrant workers who will collect, right? And then people, whether construction or other places, will roll up and go, "Okay, I need four guys or whatever. I need six guys or whatever," and they hire them for the day, right? Yeah, and that's yeah. that's like it's right under our noses. Not like that happens. I don't know if they can eat if they don't if they don't get a job, but it's they're still doing day to day work, you know, and just hoping that they get somebody. So it's, um, it's definitely out there, but okay. So I know that around the world, um, that's something and, and compassion does some really great work. And I've been privileged to support compassion. Actually, Christian podcasters association did international podcast day on September 30th. We did an eight hour live stream and we promoted compassion the whole, the whole day, um, to, to hopefully sponsor some kids, we sponsored a couple, so that was good. But uh, it's a do a little good. But um, definitely, I love that. What do you? So, what do you do with compassion right now? So, I am a relationship manager, which doesn't really explain a whole lot. But my <laughs> my job is within the area in, in which I live. I visit pastors uh, to explain to them the work of compassion, um, and and often it's telling them, "Hey, this is what compassion's about." Many pastors will already know of various agencies that are doing excellent work but we sort of come in and we say look we'll, we'll tell you what the the differences with compassion are and and essentially they are uh, the fact that we are christ-centered that we believe that every child should be able to to hear and respond to the gospel of jesus christ uh, we are child focused every child should be known loved and connected in with the local church and we are church-based we only work through local churches in developing nations. So we actually are resourcing local churches so that the local church that has a vision given by God, but cannot fulfill it because they lack resources. 
then compassion comes in and says we will provide those resources so that you can minister to children and their families in your area and one of the things that i love about the fact that we are church-based is that when i visit a compassion center in a developing nation i don't see a big sign saying compassion we're not there to lift up the name of compassion we are there mm. to lift up the name of jesus christ and so it is the local church and, and it's the local church sign whatever that sign may be the local christian church and so it, it's more than just the children getting the benefit it's more than just their families but the wider community understands it is the jesus followers it is the local christian church that loves and cares for children in need in their area so it's a witness that goes far beyond just those that we serve through compassion uh and and i just love that that it is it is being Jesus' hands and feet. So we are providing the healthcare, we're providing the education, we're providing all those sorts of things that the children need, but we are providing that spiritual aspect of, of sharing the gospel with these children. And we know that hundreds of children come to know Christ daily because compassion yeah. is working in their neighborhood. Yeah, which I love the tangible way that compassion does that, right? It's not it's not just uh, a sermon and and do these things. It's a uh, it's a very practical kind of a ministry that meets some really tangible important needs. Absolutely, and and again, I, I've seen it in in a number of countries, and poverty is different in different countries. So, for instance, in uh, South America, there's a there's a lot of gang violence. And for instance, in Colombia, you cannot be prosecuted for murder if you're under the age of 18. So therefore, the gangs will enlist 12-year-olds oh. to be hitmen. I mean, how does a child come back from that? So if we do not reach no. a child by the time you know that that comes around, if we do not reach them and, and lift them out of the poverty they're in, then that's their life and, and lives are being wrecked because wow. they think, here's a way to get around the law. We will enlist children to go out and kill people on our behalf. So there's, there's that sort of poverty there. When we're looking at Africa, and I've been to uh, Rwanda, I've been to Ethiopia, and you see that kind of dirt poor that we often, often imagine as poverty, where there's very little in belongings, just a dirt floor and a few tin sheets that make up the home, and, and it's very sparse. And, and that's often the case in, in some of those sorts of countries. Again, each, each country in Africa is different, but that's, I guess, what we see in places like Ethiopia, especially. And then we go to a lot of the Asian countries, and there's a real problem with sex trafficking there. Uh, and more and more, with, with COVID hitting, it's more and more online. And so there are these predators that will supply a, a smartphone to young children and then they say well we'll give your family food if you do this or that in front of this camera and so you have people that are a world away and unfortunately australia mm. is is one of those places where there are a lot of let's say consumers so predators that are taking advantage of this the us is another place a lot of places in the western world they're actually paying online for horrific things to happen and they are destroying lives from a distance. And so we need to, to come in at the point of need wow. in each of these cases and say, what does poverty look like here? How do we alleviate it? How do we protect those children from sex trafficking in places like the Philippines and in Indonesia and, and in Thailand? How do we lift the standard of living in African countries where they have so very little? How do we protect children from the gang life that they're destined for in, in some of the countries around South America? So this is the complexity of releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name through compassion. Yeah, that's really important work. Friends, uh, I, I wasn't going to do this, but if, you, if you're moved by anything what Rodney is saying, just go to Compassion's website, and I believe that's just Compassion.com. You can go there and check it out and uh, and sponsor kids, a kid some, somewhere, somehow, whatever you, you want to do. That's uh, absolutely, uh, if you feel if you feel the spirit moving. Um, Rodney, I really love your heart. I love your heart for truth and your heart for, um, you know, the Lord and for the lost and the hurting. It's, it's really a beautiful thing. Um, thanks for, for sharing a little bit of your story. I, I appreciate you being here. Thanks for uh, coming to me all the way from the other side of the world. I think that's awesome. I love Zoom for that. Um, and 
I think that's great. You, people can find you. They can find Bleeding Daylight. Is, is it bleedingdaylight.net? Yeah, that's right. Bleedingdaylight.net is the, the website. Of course, you can find Bleeding Daylight wherever you listen to podcasts. But if you want to check out the, the website, you can go to bleedingdaylight.net and you'll find me there. People can get in touch if they want. I'd, I'd love yep. to, to catch up with people and just see you know, uh, what help the, the program has been for them. Yeah, absolutely, guys. You can get that wherever you get your podcast. You're in the app now, probably. Just flip over and look up Bleeding Daylight. You'll you'll find it. And I've listened to many episodes, and I know that you'll enjoy them for sure. So, Rodney, thanks so much for being here. Is there anything you want to leave us with? I guess the the whole crux of things for me over the, the last couple of years is Jesus' words in the story of the Good Samaritan. And I guess I would just sort of echo that where this lawyer who's who's an expert in the in the law of of moses uh he, he's a religious lawyer not a lawyer like we would know who would try cases he comes and he's trying to justify himself says what should i do to inherit eternal life and jesus says well what do you do he says well i you know i follow the the commandments i've done this since i was a child and and jesus says well, well how do you understand that and and he says well you know to paraphrase um, well, I need to, to throw everything I have at loving God, heart, soul, mind, um, and love my neighbor as myself. And then Jesus asks him a, a curly question. He says, you know, you, you've got that right, but who's your neighbor? And so he starts telling a story of the Good Samaritan. And, and there's so much complexity in that uh, of what happens with this Good Samaritan in this story that Jesus tells. And then he says, so you know, who, who was the neighbor? Cause it, it's not the priest or the Levite who just walked past the religious leaders. It's actually someone from a, a different race, someone from a different belief system who stops by and, and helps the man. And, and he realizes, well, my neighbor is whoever is in need, who's put in front of me. And many people would say that, that, that statement that we see el elsewhere in scripture as well of that, you know, love, love the Lord, your God with your heart, mind, soul, body, and, and, and the whole thing is, throw everything you have at loving God and then love your neighbor as yourself is, is really a distilling of the 10 commandments. Uh, those commandments that tell us how we interact with God. And then those commandments of how we interact with others. It's that dis distillation of those. And I think we've got to get better at loving our neighbor out of the overflow of the love that God gives mm. us. We throw everything we have at loving God. That's first and foremost, we throw everything we have at loving God but then out of that, we need to be loving our neighbor and loving them is to say, well, if we love our neighbor as we love ourselves, how do we love ourselves? We ensure that we have good food. We ensure that we have shelter. We ensure we have good relationships, but we also ensure that we're connected with the one true living God who sent his son that we should have an eternal relationship with him. We love ourselves by putting ourselves in relationship with God. So we're not truly loving our neighbor unless we're seeking to put people in relationship with God. That's what it's about, to be able to reach out to people, whether that's as, as we do through compassion to people in developing nations. So we are providing all those physical helps, but we are introducing them to Jesus, or if it's the person next door. Because oftentimes we use that story of the Good Samaritan as, oh, do nice things for people, but it's deeper than that. <laughs> It's deeper. It's, right. it's not just do someone a, a favor and then say, oh, it's a good Samaritan today. It's like, why did you share the gospel with them? Did you ensure that they know that there's life after this and that they can have eternal, uh, be, be eternally with Jesus? Because if you didn't, you're not loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And I guess that's something that I find is a real, real challenge. But I guess that's something that I am seeking to live out more and more as the days goes on. Love it. Love it. Ronnie, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Again, friends, bleedingdaylight.net. Go check it out or check it out in your podcast app. Thanks, Ronnie. Thank you. Thank you.